Kia ora and welcome to the Kerry Podcast, where we highlight research that weaves together the Word of God in Scripture, the world in which we live, and the work of Christian discipleship. We invite you to join us as we explore ways in which we can live, serve, and witness with Jesus in our constantly changing world. Tēnā koutou katoa. My name is John Tucker and I'm the principal of Kerry Baptist College. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is a lecturer in New Testament here at Kerry Baptist College. And in particular, we're going to be discussing his recently published book on the Gospel of Mark. If you love Jesus and you want to know him better, if you love the Bible and you want to read it better, if you love the church and you want to see it flourish, then I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Well, Jonathan, I'm thrilled to be talking with you today, and I'm really looking forward to discussing your recent book, Mark and Topology. But before we get there, how did you get here? Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about your journey. Kia ora, John. Uh, Thanks for having me on this lovely little podcast of yours. So I grew up in the UK, in a lovely, warm Christian family, and going to church, When I went to university, though, I think it's fair to say, like a lot of teenage guys, um, I probably had a a few different aspects to my life, uh, and and being a a Christian was one of them, um, but not necessarily something that took up my whole life. And uh, um, cut a very long story short, um, during university I was a a music student, and um, I I felt God calling me really challenging me to, to not just be a, a Christian in one part of my life, but to be belong wholly to him and to um, ultimately to, to preach and to pastor, which was a bit of a shock to me um, at the sort of tender age of 19 to find that call on my life. So from there I went into a church ministry in, in the independent evangelical churches and uh, Got a lot of experience preaching and, and pastoring in, in uh, southwest England in, in a little town called Exmouth and then later in a little town called London and where I met a beautiful red-headed Kiwi lady who um, kindly agreed to marry me and after we'd married about a year we moved over to New Zealand. I ended up studying at Cary Baptist College and it was a really amazing experience for me. This was back in 2006. I ended up doing a master's degree in 1 Corinthians. I spent six years after that in Blockhouse Bay Baptist Church in West Auckland. But at the end of that time, um, the question came up of, of doing a PhD. I didn't really know what to do, uh, but I'd just been preaching a sermon series on Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah at, at, at the church. And uh, I've been really interested when I was reading doing my research for the sermon on Jonah chapter 1, that in a couple of my Jonah commentaries they said, oh, look at Jonah asleep in the boat while the storm is raging about him. Isn't that a bit like Jesus in Mark chapter 4? Asleep in the boat while the storm is raging about him. And, you know, I'd been to Cary Baptist College, I'd been reading the Bible all my life, and I'd never connected those two stories before. Really? Oh, sorry, is that a bit slack of me? Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little bit slow, but anyway. Okay, yeah, well, I am a, I'm, I'm a late bloomer, John. That's what it is. So, yeah, so I'd never made that connection before, and I was really interested. So I went to some Mark commentaries, and none of the Mark commentaries that I looked at mentioned this. And I thought, well, surely that's got to be some significance. 
But so so that was that was the question. Why do some people not mention this? Why do some people see this? Um, is there something to look into? That was the question that got me kind of started. And I wrote a little proposal around this idea of how does Mark's gospel use or refer to or connect with uh, stories from the Old Testament um, that some people see and some people don't? And how do, how do we have this conversation? Are they really there or not? Uh, and so, so really, I ended up spending a three-year PhD program um, on a sermon that got a bit out of control really it's just just a sermon that I couldn't stop preparing for even after I preached it so the name of the book and not surprisingly because of the question that was driving you into this research was Mark and Topology um, and there's a subtitle that's you know kind of I guess gives more specific detail mm. into that you're looking at particularly at part of chapters four, five, and six. Um, do you want to just, for, for our listeners, um, paint you know, on a large canvas what, um, what really you're exploring yeah. in this book? Well, typology is a bit of a technical term, and uh, what it means in this situation is, is really that we see in the Old Testament scriptures types of Christ. We, we see um, figures or events or uh, institutions or, or, or whatever in, in, in the Old Testament, that when we read them from the perspective of followers of Jesus, we see something that makes that points towards Jesus or makes us think about Jesus or his ministry in, in some way. So, so what you've got um, in, in Jonah is this really fascinating you know, thing of uh, a prophet asleep in the boat while the storm rages about him now this this is an unusual thing most people are not fast asleep when there's a storm going on um, stories about prophets do not normally feature prophets sleeping in boats it's not normally an exciting thing to, to talk about uh, so the fact that we've got a story about Jonah and we've got a story about Jesus it sort of makes us think in our minds is there a connection going on and the, and the question for my research I guess in terms of ancient history is saying is it possible that Mark, when he wrote his gospel, was making a connection to, to, to Jonah, is connecting Jonah to Jesus? And when he writes his gospel, does he want the reader of his gospel to make that connection too? And if he does want us to make that connection, what's he trying to say? So I do this for several chapters of Mark, but because we've only got limited time today, I'll just tell you about the first one. And if you mm -hmm. want to know about the rest, you'll have to buy the book. Um, or get it out of the library. But so so in Mark chapter 4, um, we've got this story of Jesus crossing uh, the lake or the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. The storm comes up and Jesus is asleep. Now, we've got a similar story in Jonah chapter 1, except unlike Jesus who is obedient to God's voice, um, we've got Jonah who's running away from God's voice, but he's on... Uh, this boat, uh, the storm comes up, Jonah is fast asleep. Now, what happens next? What happens next is that the captain wakes up Jonah and says, what are you doing sleeping? Can't you pray to your God? Don't you care if we perish? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, which is starting to ring bells in my mind. Ah, 
Yeah, why is that? Well, just because in Mark's gospel, that kind of equivalent story, um, that the disciples wake Jesus up and say, don't you care if we perish? Right. Very good. So, so you're right onto it. So, 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 so what's interesting here is you've got a kind of similar story. A similar. So, if you want a technical term, this is a narrative motif. This is this is something that's happening in the in the in the, in the story, and they're really quite similar. And what's really interesting is the words that are the same. Because this is where we start going beyond, oh, it's just a coincidence, or oh, it's just a similar event. But why do, do the disciples say, don't you care if we drown? No, they don't say drown. Don't you care if we sink? They don't say sink. Don't you care if we're overturned? No, they say perish. And if we read Mark's Gospel next to Mark's Bible, which would have been um, the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, um, what we find is Jonah chapter 1, captain saying don't you care if we perish uses the greek word apolumi it's exactly the same word used in uh, mark's gospel for the you know the disciples complaint don't you care if we perish so suddenly we've got more than just a, a, a story element that's similar we've actually got a choice of language that's very similar and you say well jonathan this still still sounds a bit wifty wafty and, and, and this is the thing, how do you argue this? And this is one of the things I wanted to look into in my, my research, was how can, I, how, how can we make this argument? How can we decide if this story is really here or not for Mark, if we should really read these two stories next to each other? So what happens next? Well, in the story of Jonah, of course, we have this kind of comedy routine where eventually it turns out that Jonah is the one um, whose fault it is. And they ask him... Who is he, and why? 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 Why is this storm getting us? And he reveals to them that um, he's a Hebrew, and he worships the Lord, which is God's personal name, the Lord, um, the Maker of heaven and earth. And this is a comedy moment because, of course, the the mariners don't know who the Lord is. They probably know. Jonah's running away from someone, but suddenly they, they hear Jonah is running away from the maker of heaven and earth. Oh no, <laughs> they probably thought he was running away from someone who owed him, he owes money to or something like that. And suddenly they find out he's, he's running away from, from this creator God. And so in, in Jonah, it's, it says, um, both in the Hebrew and in the, in the Greek, uh, the sort of rough translation, they were afraid with a great fear. So we get this repetition, we get the verb afraid, and then we get the, 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 the noun fear. So they're afraid with a great fear. And, um, and then when the, the mariners finally throw Jonah, reluctantly, they throw Jonah overboard and the storm is calmed, and they realise this isn't just Jonah's belief, this guy really does own heaven and earth and, and uh, you know, the, the wind and the waves, the, the mariners are again afraid with a great fear. Now, if you were to read the whole Old Testament in Greek, how many times would you encounter that phrase, afraid with a great fear? So um, I know you've done it, John. I'm, so. <laughs> I'm picking once. Twice. Twice. Both of the times in Jonah 1. Okay. 
Remember, I just okay, told you sorry, about them. Sorry. So you know yeah. we've got working yeah. with no, no, that. No, that one occasion. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So, so that's the only time you get that exact phrase yes. in the whole whole Old Testament. Happened, but it happens twice in Jonah one. So this is kind of a key phrase in this passage. If you're reading it in its original language, you're going to see afraid with a great fear, and it comes up twice as key parts of the story. So what happens in Mark when Jesus calms the storm, and then tells off his disciples for not having faith? What's the response of the disciples? They were afraid with a great fear. They were afraid with a great fear, yeah. So we have exactly the same phrase in Mark. And it's the only time Mark uses this phrase. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and terror in Mark's gospel. It's a very emotional gospel. Um, But this is the only time we get this exact phrase. So for me, you start joining all these dots up. Suddenly you've got a clear typology a typological connection you've got a connection between these two stories that the way mark is choosing to tell them this miracle account of jesus is making links back to another miracle that happened in the old testament so what can we what can that possibly mean well it means jesus is a prophet like jonah in one sense but unlike Jonah, who's kind of disobedient, Jesus is an, an obedient prophet and goes where God wants him to go, that sort of thing. But then there's also this other question, who calms the storm in Jonah chapter 1? It's mm. not Jonah. It's God, Yahweh, the yeah. creator of heaven and earth. But then who calms the storm in Mark chapter 4? Ah, Jesus. So, so, ah, so And, and who's so. A, who are people afraid of with great fear? Mm. Um, so, so there's this kind of double thing going on here in Mark's gospel where... Jesus is both being connected to Jonah, but he's also being connected to the Lord in the Jonah story. And so to me, that is really, really interesting. And what exactly that tells us about how Mark understood Jesus and how Mark understood Jesus in the light of the Old Testament. Mm. And so what my book does is it goes through uh, the the account of the calming of the storm um, that the casting out of legion from the Gerasene demoniac, the you know um, those poor pigs, um, Jairus's daughter and the woman in the crowd, and the feeding of the five thousand. Mm. And in each one of those miracle accounts, I find what were for me mind-blowing connections back to the Old Testament. Now you've already very politely, I have to say, told me that I was stupid for not cottoning on to Jonah <laughs> in, in, in Mark chapter 4 earlier. Well, that's maybe fair enough. But I found some connections in my research that no one has seen before. So, so because I was particularly looking at this question, mm-hmm. or that no one has seen before and written it down mm-hmm. in a way that we've got a record of now. So, so But C.S. Lewis yeah. you know, has you know, very... Um, compellingly reminded us of the the dangers of chronological snobbery where we assume that we simply because we are later in time from those that have gone before know more than those that have gone before Mm -hmm. Um, people have been reading the gospel of mark for you know two thousand years and 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 people have been reflecting on and writing about it can i interrupt you there john Because this is the, just the thing. People haven't been reading the Gospel of Mark. Here's the neglected Gospel. So in the early church, the, re- the word got around, I don't know who started the rumour, but the word got around that Mark is just a precy of Matthew. It's just a short version. So there wasn't a commentary written on Mark's Gospel until the 7th century. Um, and and th- that commentary 
was made up of bits of commentaries on Matthew and Luke. It wasn't its own, given its own focus. And, 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 it, and Mark, throughout the history of church, has not really been paid much attention to on his own terms. It's only in recent years, uh, so the beginning of a historical critical uh, approach to the Bible, Mark was seen as an early historical resource, but it wasn't until the 1970s that people started seeing Mark as a book with its own theology, yeah. a book with literary skill mm-hmm. in its production, and and so these sorts of hidden gems have stayed hidden, not because I'm so smart. Believe me, John, I am not <laughs> under the illusion that I am the smartest okay, person well, my who could have come to this, yeah. um, but because people simply haven't been looking at these questions. Wow. And what amazed me, so I didn't think it would be so easy. I thought this argument about the, the typological connections was going to be really hard, and I'd have to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things with literary theory to make it. But when I actually got down to reading through um, in the original language, the, these miracles, Mark had left me all these little signposts just to make it really, you know, well, to my mind, quite clear and pretty hard to disagree with that he's making these references back because otherwise what are these words doing here in these special, same places in the story, the same words, mm. uh, but the story's about Jesus instead of these Old Testament figures. So undeniable typological connections, almost. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to use the word undeniable okay. as a biblical scholar, but I, yeah, yeah. I think pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you, when you, let's just pan out a little bit. We're focused mm-hmm. then on that one you know, really powerful story of Jesus um, asleep in the storm. Let's pan out to the rest of the Gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. taking it on its own terms, spending the kind of you know, time that you have really rigorously studying and listening to this book. Um, you know, I mean, I I, uh, I I love how Eugene Peterson says that when we read the scriptures, we've been schooled by our schooling system, by our education system, to to read the Bible functionally, looking for data that will help right, us, right. you know, and, um, and 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 not relationally, not not to, to read it rather than to to listen to it, to to be listening for a voice through our rigorous study, but listening for a voice. The, the voice of the, mm. the risen Christ by the Spirit speaking to us through that word. Um, when you when you pan out and you think about this this journey of, of study and and, and you know, the time that you have lingered in the Gospel of Mark, what have you heard? What else have you you mm. learned about mm. the Gospel of Mark and about the Jesus who is presented in the Gospel? Yeah, that's 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 a great question, John. Um, I mean, I wonder, just before I get to your question, if, if we even read the Bible functionally, because because it's a familiar text, you know, it's very hard for you and me to read um, the calming of the storm, Jesus' miracle of the calming of the storm. It's very hard for us to read that functionally because we're so familiar with it. And so what happens to us a lot, especially if we're brought up in church, is we come to the Bible and we read a bit and we already know what we're going to find. And so it's actually very hard to read what's really there because there's already a Bible in our heads that naturally gets superimposed on top. So what, one of the things I try and teach at Cary to, to the students that I'm lucky enough to have in my class um, is how do we see what's actually there? How do we slow down, come, come step right back, stop assuming we know the answers and let it speak to us? Mm. Um, and, and and so so this this you know opportunity to do this research over three years 
um, was an incredible opportunity, such a privilege to just be able to spend three years studying the Bible. I mean, mm. just, it's ridiculous. I had mm. to pinch myself repeatedly mm. uh, to, 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 you know, make sure I wasn't dreaming. It's just a wonderful way to spend three years and it kind of spoils you a bit. Um, but um, to answer your question, I, I think there's, there's, there's at least three things, I think, that um, f- for me re- really came home through this research and I think are really significant and important for us as the people of God as we seek to wrestle with the Bible. The, the, the number one, probably, one is that um, you still hear today people talking about being a New Testament Christian as opposed to being an Old Testament Christian. You still hear people t- today talking about uh, Judaism in a, 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 a negative way or you, and you still have a pr- problem in the church and in the academy with anti-semitism and stereotypes of, of Jewish people both ancient Jewish people and modern uh, which is hugely problematic and I don't think if you really get to know the New Testament in any sort of in- intimate way um, whether it's miracles in Mark or the letters of Paul or Revelation or wherever you go you cannot escape how saturated it is with Old Testament language, Old Testament concepts, and and the Old Testament scriptures. You just can't, you know, Marcion's idea um, of chopping out, you know, heretically chopping out the bits of the New Testament that had Old Testament bits in to, to end up with a pure gospel, it's just total nonsense. You mm. cannot mm. pull it out. It's, it's the... It's the lifeblood, it's the marrow of the New Testament. And if you try and pull it all out, you'd be left with a very, sorry, you know, mess indeed. So, the, yeah, so the, your, your study in particular, the Gospel of Mark is, um, is a, a one, one section of the New Testament just demonstrates how the Gospel, the New Covenant in Christ, the New Testament, is very much the fulfilment of the Old Testament, the hopes, the dreams... The story um, and and the the work of God mm. in our world to re- renew and redeem yeah. all things through through the Messiah. Through but, but even the language of fulfillment is dangerous, depending on what we mean by it, because that can often mean we don't need it anymore because it's been fulfilled. <laughs> and and so you know the, the image that I think is really helpful is 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 to understand this is our roots. Yeah, yeah. As, as people of yes. God, yes. we don't have a new tree. No. You know, we've been grafted into this tree. I believe that might be biblical. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's, so that's a great image, the tree. But I'm, I'm thinking of the image of, of story or, or narrative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a, a true account. Yes. Um, and, uh, and if you do rip out the first few chapters or a large chunk of the book, um, it is very hard to, 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 to make sense well, of it's the, impossible yeah, exactly because yeah. you're, you're not going to see what it's saying Great. you're going to be bringing cool. the wrong categories and the wrong so concepts. we need to yeah. we need to read the scripture as 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 a as as yeah. one unified cohesive story yep okay cool what else um so, so so another one so this might interest you you john um before i left auckland to go to dunedin and, and do my studies um, I, I had the opportunity to, to lead a group of pastors in our sort of monthly pastoral um, cluster, we called them. It's kind of a support group, you know, ministry group for, for, for local pastors. And so what I did is I just set down six or seven ways that we find the Jewish scriptures interpreted in, in the New Testament. And I said, how many of you would use these methods of scripture interpretation in a sermon? 
And it was really interesting that all the pastors there, yeah, yeah, we recognize that, we know that happens in the New Testament, but no, we can't do that ourselves. And and to me, that's a really interesting disconnect that often, and, and it's really, you know, this cuts to the heart of what we do at Cary, is, is often the way we understand the right way to read a text or the right way to interpret a scripture, we've got this particular way of doing it and, and method, and it's not the method, and this is what we teach people, and is, is right and the right way to do it. And then when we read the New Testament, we see them doing all sorts of other things. And we go, oh, that's all right, because they're New Testament writers, they can do what they like. And to me, that's a really odd double standard to have, because if, if they're, you know, the, the apostles and the prophets, and, and what they're doing with Scripture, surely we should imitate that, not go, oh, that's not special, we've got our own way of doing it, and our way's right, but that their way's... Right for them. Somehow inspired. So so, so for me, there's a real challenge here for us, um, and I haven't got to the bottom of this yet, but but I I think, and I mean this with all the love in the world, but I I think um, we have learned to read the Scriptures in a way that is not how the Scriptures teach us to read them. And so how do we learn to read the Scripture um, well, we can read the New Testament and see how they read the scriptures, that you know the books that they understood mm-hmm. to be scriptures. Mm-hmm. How did they read them? What did mm-hmm. they do with them? And I, I think, um, I mean, I'm right at the beginning of this question for myself, but but I think um, this has huge potential to just um, reconnect us all with the Bible in a much more living way, um, because there's there's a lot we've been missing out on because we've looked at what they do and we go, oh, that's a that yeah. We don't understand it because we don't understand what's going on. We don't we don't know how to make the connections they make, and and but secondly, we don't really think it's legitimate, which has got to create a question then about you know you know it, it, that cre- as soon as we're saying oh I don't really think you know we don't say that loud but we're saying oh I don't really think the Bible translates the Bible uh, interprets the Bible the right way. Mm-hmm. To me, that's creating a big issue for us with our view mm-hmm. of Scripture, mm-hmm. and so. So to actually reckon with what Scripture does do mm-hmm. in interpretation and, and to then say, well, shouldn't that have some impact on how we interpret things? That's a really good point. I mean, we believe the Scripture is the Spirit-breathed Word of God in that, you know, when we listen to Scripture, when we read the Scripture, when we hear the, the, the Word of God, the written Word, we uniquely encounter the living Word. Jesus speaking to us and so um, so we hold that on the one hand and yet on the other hand we think well the way in which Mark or Matthew or Luke or John <laughs> utilize the Old Testament there it seems a little dodgy but yeah. it's okay so that's there's a tension yeah. there that you're identifying and how do we reconcile yeah. that well, well we literally have a situation and I won't go on about this but we literally have a situation where things you would fail a mark you'd, if you did that in your sermon for, you'd fail for a sermon, you would fail the exegesis um, element although I'm, I'm you know i'm sure you wouldn't be too harsh but um you know but this this is what they're doing in the new testament mm. so are we going to fail them mm. or are we going to learn from them mm. so that's, well that's it yeah. well not 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 having had the the sort of the the time space energy or expertise to resolve some of those particular questions i've just fallen back into the default position of trusting that this is this all scripture is 
God-breathed and useful for teaching. Yeah. So um, if you are able to get to the bottom of that in the course of your <laughs> research, that would be helpful. Thank you. Um, one more one more reflection on the significance of so, your research for the church, the people yeah. of God today in Aotearoa. So la- last thing, um, so, that, so I, I've, I spent three years studying this at the university. I presented papers at the British New Testament Studies Society conference. I've got things published in international journals off this research, and I've got this shiny book, um, which is being published by a top academic press. And the best thing I've done with my research is sit down with a group of uh, more senior ladies uh, on a Wednesday morning at my local Baptist church um, for, for, I think we managed to do it for about 20 weeks or so, and just read through Mark together. And and it was wonderful because what and and they told me it was wonderful too but i i found it personally wonderful <laughs> but what was wonderful was um was to sit with these saints who've been reading the bible all their lives and have heard you know more sermons than you and i have had hot dinners and and yet when i shared what i've been learning with them their eyes lit up they got excited um familiar stories you know had new insights for them and the bible came alive to them but it wasn't just one way because they would tell me things and they would ask me questions that as an academic it just hadn't occurred to me to ask and they would push me on things and they would make it relevant to their lives and the bible would become alive to me and and this is this is this is something that i've really been touched by because sometimes i think when i'm you know working on something really um, you know, deep and mysterious and esoteric and, you know, reading some book that only 10 people have bothered reading because it's just so, you know, and, and digging into these deep, deep things and you think, what how does it have to do to anything? Is it going to help anyone? And, and yet actually, this sort of work really does help people mm. because it helps make the Bible come more alive, more real, because it's being set in its historical context, because we're reading what's actually there rather than just you know our memory replaying our memory of, of what we learned when we were at sunday school and that sort of thing and so um so i've been really encouraged by that group that actually this isn't just um you know research to satisfy my curiosity and to feel good about putting something on my cv that i've got published but it actually does make the bible come alive for people mm. and uh, and and that to me is really exciting you know mm. when you see that light coming on yeah. and when you see people um because they're reading scripture and getting a bit more insight into it and thinking about it a bit more and then asking their own questions, mm. they are connecting with God. Mm. They are being encouraged in their walk with Jesus. Mm. Uh, they're being renewed in faith mm. Mm. through that. So that that's that's what really gets me going. So on. good. I mean, the, 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 the reformers, the Protestant reformers, said that the church is a creature of the word. It was it was birthed through the, the hearing of the word of God about Jesus. But not only that, the scriptures keep saying time and time again, you know, listen to the word, hear the word. The word is like food to your soul. Mm. It will nourish yep, you, it will yep. strengthen you. So faith is nourished and strengthened and birthed, but, but grows and is strengthened and sustained through the hearing of the word. Um, so the reading and hearing of the Bible, the word of God, is absolutely central to the life and health mm. of the church. Our, our growth as disciples yeah. of Jesus and our witness for him in the world. So um, I'm thrilled 
that you're doing what you're doing. We need people like you so um, so we can have people in our churches equipped to read the scriptures mm. faithfully and well and hear the voice of Jesus, see the person of Jesus um, through what they read. So wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, may the Lord bless the writing of this book and the research that you know that continues to, to flow out of um, your your activity with us in the Kerry community. So again, if you've enjoyed this conversation about the New Testament, about the Gospel of Mark, about the Word of God, um, Kerry has a range of courses on the New Testament that can help you learn how to weave together God's Word, God's world and God's work. Um, and a great place to start in semester two this year from July onwards would be an evening course on the Introduction to New Testament with Jonathan, uh, part of the new Kerry Local Initiative. Kerry comes to you in your local setting. Um, but Jonathan's got a number of other courses at Kerry that he's teaching, uh, like Romans, 1 Corinthians, or Revelation. If you'd like to, to find out more about any of those courses, uh, then studying through Kerry on-site or in your local context, wherever you are, visit kerry.ac.nz.